that the future will look different. And I think that the key in coming out the other side of this, not only intact, but like even better and stronger than before, is not being overly attached to the idea that life is going to look the same on the other side of this. Welcome to Business Owners Radio. Business Owners Radio, where established business owners get the latest insights, strategies, and practices to grow a sustainably profitable business. And now, Taking Care of Business, your hosts, Craig Moen and Shai Gilad. Welcome to Business Owners Radio, episode 160. Today, we're talking with Jessica Carson, author of Wired This Way, on finding mental, emotional, physical, and spiritual well-being as a creator. Jessica Carson is currently Georgetown University's first expert in residence and the director of innovation at the American Psychological Association. She's also held positions in startups in a venture firm and was a research fellow at the National Institute of Health. Good morning, Jessica. Welcome to Business Owners Radio. Good morning. It's so great to be here. So appreciative of this opportunity. Oh, yeah. We're very excited, too. I just got my copy of Wired This Way on finding mental, emotional, physical, and spiritual well-being as a creator. And I have to tell you, Jess, this is such a great time to have you on the show because so much chaos in the world. But before we get there, I'm really curious, what inspired you to write this book? Oh, gosh. Well, you know, as a teacher, I feel like we can't really teach something that we haven't experienced ourselves. And we can't leave somebody somewhere that we haven't traversed that path first ourselves. And so for me, like so many others, my inspiration for writing the book came from my own personal experience and and my own personal embodiment of being a creator and having both incredibly light qualities and also experiencing the lows of creativity and facing my more shadowy qualities as well. And so to make a longest story a little shorter and the the fuller story is chapter three of the book. So you can read all the juicy details in chapter three, but basically I started my career in psychology and neuroscience at the National Institutes of Health, then moved into startups, then moved into venture capital. And it was when I was working in venture capital that two interesting, (laughs) we want to call it interesting things happened. The first was that my job was to meet with thousands of entrepreneurs. And so given my background in psychology, I started to pick up on certain patterns in their thinking and their emotions and their behavior and the ways that they would engage with the world. And what struck me was that on one hand, entrepreneurs and creators, it seems as though they self-select into this kind of work because they possess a certain suite of qualities. They are incredibly achievement-oriented and intuitive and innovative-minded, critically-minded. They are not scared to march to the beat of their own drum and and disagree if if the occasion calls for it. They're charismatic. They have strong and healthy egos. All of these wonderful, bright qualities But what I also noticed was that all of these bright qualities came with an equally dark undercurrent. And so you take a wonderful quality like passion, 
and you look at the flip side of passion and you see obsession, you see emotional dysregulation, you see martyrdom, you see burnout. And so I got really curious about what it was about the entrepreneurial and creative personality that is prone to extremes, both for better and for worse. And so at the same time that I was recognizing this in those around me and was witnessing mental health struggles, burnout, stress-related illness, emotional distress, even spiritual forms of distress, things like people having crises of passion, kind of into existential funks, they were having identity crises, I also hit my own wall, so to speak, and started wading into my own dark night of the soul, as I lovingly refer to it. And basically all of my most brilliant qualities that caused me to succeed started to backfire and self-combust. So my passion turned into obsession, my conscientiousness turned into perfectionism, my quest for self-actualization was turning into depression. And what ended up happening was I got really sick and I wasn't listening to my body. And so my body took the wheel and I started manifesting a lot of not so glamorous symptoms. My hair started falling out. I had no energy. And basically I was forced to stop and assess the situation. And I had to make a very deliberate choice to really dedicate myself to understanding my own wiring so that I could not only regain my physical and creative health once again, but so that I could shine a light on the path for others who I knew were experiencing the same thing. Wow, what a journey. And so many of the things that you described, I know they resonated with me because I'm kind of squirming in my chair a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) That's always a good sign. (laughs) Yeah, 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 right. So so tell us a little bit more about sort of the science behind this, because I know that as you started to come face to face with this journey and the realities of what you were experiencing, you spent a lot of time researching, you know, what, what this actually looks like. And what did you learn about how and why this shows up like this? Yeah, no, such a great question because so the central premise of my work is that your struggles are born from your strengths and your strengths are born from your struggles and they are one in the same. Your light and dark are one in the same. And so what I started finding as I dove into the research was that, you know, entrepreneurs and creators, they have higher rates of mental health issues. They have higher rates of stress-related illness. They have higher rates of burnout. They have higher rates of these sort of existential stressors. And so I got curious about, well, why is this the case? And is it that entrepreneurship is just so stressful? And so it's causing in a sort of diathesis stress kind of way, is, are the stresses of entrepreneurship drawing out these afflictions in individuals? Or alternatively... Are individuals who are more sensitive, more vulnerable, more aware of themselves in the world, are more attuned to their environment, are they more likely to self-select into entrepreneurship? And what I found was obviously there are multiple variables at play, but the fascinating thing is that individuals who self-select into entrepreneurial endeavors and creative endeavors maybe self-select into those endeavors not despite the fact that they have mental health issues, that they are prone to stress-related illness, all of these things, but because they have these challenges. And so actually these challenges could be viewed 
as the essential strengths that fuel their creative and productive work. And so to give you a few examples of that, if you look at depression, for example, which is the most common mental health issue among creators, depression, evolutionary psychologists believe it has not been weeded out in our collective gene pool at this point because it actually confers an adaptive advantage onto the individual with depression. So that adaptive advantage takes the form of being able to basically stop to withdraw from your environment, to assess the landscape in a very realistic manner, and to choose a few key problems that need to be solved rather than getting distracted by going to happy hour, going to the gym, going to this, going to that. You're able to actually channel your energy that you do have on sort of stewing on or ruminating, and I'm, I'm doing air quotes as I say that, on a few problems that you want to fix. Now, where something like depression is maladaptive is when you stew or ruminate on the fact that that you're a failure, right? Like that's not helpful for anyone. Where it's adaptive is if you stew or ruminate on a complex or interesting creative or intellectual problem. And that's why so many writers, musicians, artists, poets, and business people have depression because it allows them to kind of stew on these complex problems for a longer and more concentrated period of time than someone who is what William James would call a once-born soul, someone who's just kind of bopping about life and getting distracted by the clouds and thinks that everything is rainbows and sunshine. And so there's one example for depression, but really when we look at all of the most common mental health issues among entrepreneurs, so those four being depression, ADHD, bipolar, and substance abuse, all of these challenges confer adaptive advantages. So looking at something like bipolar, bipolar is 11 times higher in entrepreneurs than non-entrepreneurs. And you can say, well, like that's awful. But actually when you look at the bipolar personality and you combine the depressive period where there's time for concentrated thought with the more manic energy of being able to dream big and go out and form connections and develop relationships and lead in this very confident way, when you combine those two states together, what do you have? You essentially have a brilliant business person, right? And, you know, ADHD is the same. So somebody who is very open to experience, who is curious, who is novelty seeking, is going to end up stumbling across a lot of great ideas and people that they need to build their businesses. And even substance abuse, which seems like, well, how can substance abuse possibly confer an adaptive advantage? But what the addictive personality is actually, so addiction implicates the dopaminergic system in the brain. Dopamine being the neurotransmitter responsible for pleasure, for risk tolerance, for liking newness, for liking stimulation, for liking sensation. So actually someone who has addictive patterns is going to be more risk tolerant. They're going to like the intense stimulation of starting or running a business, they're going to have a more passionate, more obsessive kind of personality that actually behooves a creator very significantly. 
And then another example, and then I'll sort of get off my soapbox for a second because I know I'm kind of going into a rabbit hole. I just am so passionate, you know, speaking of passion, passionate about this, but um, like looking at stress-related illness. So stress-related illness is very high in creators and entrepreneurs. I know that because my nervous system basically burned out. But what research is starting to find is that people with high IQs, and a research study was conducted on individuals who qualify for Mensa, people with high IQs fall under this category of the hyperbrain, hyperbody thesis, which is that individuals who are very smart, they're very aware of their environments, they're noticing everything in their environments, they're very tuned into things that are changing. On one hand, they're very intelligent, but on the other hand, their nervous system is also receiving this enormous amount of stimuli and that people with high IQs are more likely to experience stress-related illness because their bodies are working at the same rate as their minds. And so there's this, again, double-edged sword of being the intelligent creator. So these are but a few of many examples that I outline in the book of the way that many of these struggles among business leaders and creators and entrepreneurs may actually not be such significant or damning or dooming struggles after all. Jessica, I have to thank you for bringing this book out. It's a deep dive and it's both great and scary at the same time for someone who's been involved with some of this and is a bit of a mirror but I also would label it an owner's manual mm-hmm. for entrepreneurs and creators to be able to understand themselves a little bit further. They had a lot of clues. They had some thoughts, but this really puts things into order. And one of the things I was curious about is this potential differentiation or inclusion between a creator versus an entrepreneur. Mm. Certainly, there are those that are both. And there are those that are predominantly a creator, but not necessarily an entrepreneur and simultaneously both. And the people that come to mind are like Steve Jobs and Wozniak and Bill Gates and Paul Allen. What are your thoughts there? Yeah, so it's a great question. And it's something that I've struggled with because basically the research that has been done has been done on more classically defined entrepreneurs, right? So classically defined entrepreneurs being founders of companies who are trying to solve problems at scale. And, but that being said, I like to use terms like creator or like entrepreneurial spirit because this book and this material, while the research is done on more classically defined entrepreneurs, There are many people, myself included, who kind of fall in this like no man's land where they are extremely entrepreneurial, but are not the founder of a tech startup and aren't sort of sure where they belong in the literature. And so I think that creator in its most generous term could be applied to really anybody who creates anything, which is pretty much all of us. But my work really focuses on individuals who embody the entrepreneurial spirit more so than they're the CEO of a dating app. (laughs) Others that come to mind that are in the spotlight and we see some history to them. And I was wondering your reactions on some of these are like Steve Jobs and Elon Musk and John Nash and even Frank Lloyd Wright. 
yep. both all of them having really interesting swings in their relationships, in their public appearance and so forth. Some thoughts there. Yes. Well, so this brings up a really beautiful point and and I'll explain a little bit more about how the book is structured and, and then answer your question. So the book is not all about mental health. The way the book is laid out is the first few chapters provide a little bit of context on the research, but the primary 10 chapters of the book describes 10 different creator archetypes within the entrepreneurial spirit. And so each of the 10 archetypes are based on a dimension of the entrepreneurial personality that is sort of more prevalent in entrepreneurs than in non-entrepreneurs. So these are things like passion, like intuition, like openness to experience, achievement orientation, disagreeability, charisma, ego, these sorts of things. And each of the archetypes has its own light qualities and its own dark qualities, and then has suggestions that can support the individual in integrating they're dark and light. So let's take the example of disagreeability because there's an entire chapter on what I call the disruptive creator, which is looking at the personality dimension of disagreeability. Now, Steve Jobs is maybe the epitome of this archetype, right? Because in this archetype's lightest sense, it is forward thinking. It is willing to break with the status quo. It doesn't care about others' opinions and so is not going to conform to others' expectations and in doing so is able to create something that the world has never seen before. That is the strength of disagreeability. The dark side of disagreeability is basically what many a documentary about Steve Jobs has highlighted. You know, the disagreeable persona, it can also kind of be an asshole. You know, they're feisty, they're aggressive, they may come across as sort of lacking empathy. Their critical mindedness that serves them well in some instances may result in just like this hypercriticalness and this judgment. I share some kind of funny stories written with love in the book of people that I dated who are entrepreneurs and, you know, everything is anonymous and written with their consent. But, you know, stories of dating the person who it's like, they're telling you the sunglasses never fit your face right. Or, you know, they're criticizing that you didn't make your bed correctly. Correctly, or that, you know, you could be maximizing your time more than you are, or these just sort of like funny, resonant anecdotes that both underscore the light and the dark. And so while mental health issues are a presentation of this light and the dark, it's not the whole story. Because if we look at someone now, like, let's say Elon Musk. So I would say that Elon Musk may resonate most with what I call the fiery creator. So the fiery creator is looking at the dimension of passion. So the passionate entrepreneur in its lightest sense is going to be enthusiastic and energetic and just committed to their work. The dark side of that is the stories we hear about Elon Musk, who is like just totally martyred himself, is sleeping on the floors of his factories, has no work-life balance, has completely unharmonious passion, has a very, it seems like an insecure relationship with his company. 
And this has resulted in everything from probably just personal and interpersonal dissatisfaction for him as an individual. But then, I mean, look at the recent example of him tweeting something it was like the company going public and it was sort of this like impulsive tweet that he sent out and and it resulted in millions of dollars in fines because of the impulsiveness of that decision. And so that's not necessarily an indicator of a mental health problem, but it is an indicator of an emotionally dysregulated personality. Jessica, it can be so helpful to be able to think about the different ways and personas of how we all show up as creators, entrepreneurs, and business owners, employers, right? And so we're obviously in this especially challenging time right now for businesses and for creators where under this global pandemic, a lot of us are locked up in our homes. We're finding businesses grind to a halt, leaving us with just these very difficult choices to have to kind of work through. And that's where these shadows come out, right? Under stress is where our worst angels show up. Yes. What kind of advice do you have right now for people that are struggling with some of these issues? Yeah. Oh, I love that question. And so the book and my work really focuses on, and I'm not a fan of three-step processes or you'll be cured in, you know, if you follow these three steps, but it's, it's based on a framework of self-study and self-study involving sort of three steps of self-understanding. So understanding thyself, followed by self-acceptance, which is once you understand yourself, how can you accept that that is the way that you're wired and that you're not broken, but that there are things that you can probably do to maximize your strengths while mitigating any liabilities that might be inherent in the way that you're wired. And then the third step is self-care. And frankly, I think that a lot of the self-help out there today starts with self-care So self-care being, you know, whether that's yoga, that's meditation, or that's breath work, or that's getting massages, or that's, you know, whatever your self-care practices are, but it can be very difficult to have self-care be a sustainable practice if it's not held by a foundation of self-understanding and self-acceptance. And so what I recommend for people in this time, and and I did a webinar yesterday on this, it's something that I've been thinking about a lot. You know, we're in this period of quarantine right now, or at least most of us are. And so what's happening is we're being forced in a way into a collective artificial state of depression. So even for the individual who may not suffer from depressed affect or energy typically, We're all sort of being forced into this place now where we're isolating, we're sort of slowing everything down, we're surveying the environment and we're deciding what are the problems at hand? What are my priorities and how am I going to allocate my energy accordingly? And so first thing that I would do is recommend that listeners take time and and if they want more details on this process can certainly email me, follow up with me, and I can send them the presentation. But first to basically take time to let themselves sort of feel into this like interesting depressive moment that we're in. Because if you look at nature as a template for creation, Creation starts in darkness. It starts by planting a seed in dark, moist soil, separating it from all other little seeds and giving it nutrients and time. 
And right now we are being called to do the same thing. So first step is enjoying, if to the extent that you can, this opportunity for isolation, for darkness, and see and feel what comes up for you intuitively in this time. It's also important to go easy on yourself, right? You don't have to come up with your next company in this time. Like don't set your expectations too high, but get curious about what is it that you want to manifest on the other side of this quarantine? Because when we look at history, the greatest creative epochs in history followed pandemics. So if we look at the bubonic plague, It was followed by the Italian Renaissance a few years after. When we look at the Great Plague of London, Shakespeare and Isaac Newton created some of their greatest works while in quarantine. Even when we look at the Spanish flu in 1918, that was followed by the Harlem Renaissance because people fled the South trying to escape the flu as well as slavery, migrated North and started the Harlem Renaissance. And so it's very interesting to reflect on, okay, what do we want to move towards once we're out of this? So I would recommend choosing what practices of self-study resonate for you. And what I call these in the book are technologies of self. So the term technologies of self was coined by the philosopher Michael Foucault. And he basically looked at philosophers across history and found that each major civilization had these different technologies of self that helped individuals understand themselves. And so in some cultures was prayer, in some cultures was dream analysis, in some cultures was group gatherings where they would talk about what was on their hearts and minds. In some cultures, this was nature. And so we all have different technologies of self that resonate for us. So for me, one of my technologies of self that I use to understand myself is art. So I'm not good at art. In fact, I frankly like really suck at it, but I really enjoy it. And it gives me this incredible outlet to connect with myself, with my emotions, with whatever is trying to come up and out and through at this time. I also have a very strong meditation practice. I obviously really like to write. So these are some ways that I get in touch with myself. So I would recommend that people also identify these technologies of self. And then from there, begin to cultivate a cadence, a schedule, a routine that feels really balanced and organic and regenerative in this time. And I also talk about this in the webinar that I did that I can link to, but when we look at the schedules and the routines of the greatest creators across history, they kind of scheduled their days as if they were always in quarantine. You know, they woke up, they ate breakfast, they wrote for three hours, they had lunch, they took a walk around their city, they went back, they saw patients, they read, they composed, they had dinner, they sat with a loved one for a while. So really getting curious about how you can be more deliberate about your quarantine schedule so that you are not just working yourself into the ground, that you're taking these breaks to engage in restorative activities. And I think now is also a really beautiful opportunity to really lean into a sense of community and prioritizing 
what is pandemic proof in both your life and your business? Because I think that there are many things that we're all realizing were probably never really that necessary. And I know that one of the funny memes that's come up recently is like, oh my God, you know, all of those meetings could have been emails. But it's like, how can we sort of take that thing that's sort of said in jest and like really apply that to our life and work more broadly? Man, that is such a positive spin on a really difficult situation. And I I love the way of thinking about that. You know, I think on this high note of recognizing how much possibility we have when things are disrupted, right? And and how much greatness can come on the other side of that, especially in our darkest time. Um, And the opportunity, I think, like you're saying, to get more in touch with yourself, right? So in my experience, and, and I know, Craig, we were talking a lot about this before the show today how we're working with so many small business owners right now that are they're just confronted with difficult decisions. But guess what? They tend to be really good at, at confronting them and dealing with them. But the pain shows up and it's extremely real. You know, when people are having to try to figure out how they're going to make their mortgage payments, how they're going to try to keep people employed, or how will they navigate the federal aid that might be available to get to the other side it's really easy to find yourself curled up in a ball underneath your desk, sucking your thumb, you know, (laughs) but but they do it. They get through it. They make the hard decisions. And what sometimes gets lost is this incredible opportunity to push pause and try to think about what can the future look like now, because it's going to be different. So how can, how can I leverage that? And Shai, what you said is so intuitive and spot on and that the future will look different. And I think that the key in coming out the other side of this, not only intact, but like even better and stronger than before is not being overly attached to the idea that life is going to look the same on the other side of this. So for example, and I can also share a link to this, you know, I was watching a video the other day of a time lapse of a wildfire. And the first image before the wildfire was of a forest with dry, crunchy, yellow grass. And then the wildfire happened and there was a period of time where everything was dead and looked like it was never going to recover. And then, you know, little things that were beginning to blossom again. And then the last frame was the forest came back even richer, even stronger, even more green and lush and healthy than before. And what I love about that is like, you know, as humans, we like what feels familiar. We like what feels comfortable. But what we don't realize is that what we might be hanging on to right now might actually be the crunchy yellow grass. And that actually, if we let things burn, and I say that like metaphorically, what can come out on the other side may surpass our wildest dreams in terms of how true and strong and healthy and good and useful it can be. Because a lot of the things that we're holding on to, if they're not lasting in this time, that may not be the worst thing. And I say that with all of the empathy in the world, knowing that that's going to mean that a lot of people lose jobs. A lot of people have to close companies, but that is also creating space for something new to be born in its place. Jessica, thank you so much for your time today. This has been an incredible and inspiring conversation. 
Oh my gosh. Thank you so much. I feel so certain as much as I want to shake my fist at the heavens on some days and say like, why am I launching this book in the middle of a pandemic? Of course, I would choose like the poetically dramatic moment to do it. Um, It's also (laughs) perfect, right? Like it is born at exactly the moment it was meant to because it is a perfect quarantine read. Yeah, I think it's just what we need right now. And is there anything else you'd like to leave with our listeners? Yes. So I would encourage anyone who's listening and this resonates to visit my website, which I'm sure will be linked, but it's www.jessicacarson.co. I'm also doing a giveaway. So if you email me your order of the book, I will mail you free Wired This Way stickers and bookmarks and a little watercolored card from me with a quote from the book on it. So in order to do that, you can either find my email on my website or you can email me at jessica at jessicacarson.co. And I'm sure all of this will be linked below. But again, yes, I would love to send you some stickers and bookmarks and other goodies if you send me that screenshot of your order. And we'll also link to the webinar. So if anything that I've shared resonates around creators in the time of coronavirus, you can access those resources as well. Our guest today has been Jessica Carson, author of Wired This Way. You can find out more about Jessica and get links to the free giveaways with Wired This Way and watch her webinar, Creators in the Time of Coronavirus, in our show notes at businessownersradio.com. Thank you for joining us on Business Owners Radio. We hope you enjoyed today's show. As always, you can read more about each episode along with links and offers in the show notes on our website, businessownersradio.com. We want to hear your feedback. Please leave comments on this show or suggestions for upcoming episodes. Tell your fellow business owners about the show. And, of course, you would love the stars and comments on iTunes. Till next time, keep taking care of business.